0: Welcome back to Merendiando, part of Radio Aluna Theater. In today's episode, our
1: final episode of Season 7, we chat with dance artist,
0: choreographer, movement coach, activist, and part of the Aluna family, Victoria Mata. Victoria Mata is a Toronto-based Canadian-Venezuelan artist who combines an evolving feminism with her passion for expressive arts therapy. Mata's choreography and her personal dance expression generates a dialogue between performance and embodied cultural memory. The world premiere production of Victoria's Cacao, a
1: Venezuelan Lament will be presented in September, 2022 with Aluna Theater and the RUTAS 2022 International Festival in partnership with TO Live. Cacao, a Venezuelan Lament is a new live dance theater outdoor performance work, taking us on an intimate journey into the radiance and resilience of Venezuela's cacao farming communities.
0: We chat with Victoria about how art can bring healing, how she collaborates across borders, and she shares with us some things she learned over cacao's 10 year development. Let's get started! Oh, we're here with Victoria Mata. We did it. Woo! Woo! What a pleasure. You don't know how many times every time we had a meeting for what a Radio Luna season would look like and we had said your name every season. <laughs> and they were like, wait, wait. We need to wait because something's brewing. Something's happening. And now finally. <laughs> now finally. <laughs> this human when she dances, it's just like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. So we were wondering, when, when was the moment that you,
2: Victoria Mata, fell in love with dance? I love telling this story. It wasn't up to me. So my mother, Milena Mata, Milena Josefina Mata Soledad, went out salsa dancing the night before her water broke and i'm sure she went out dancing many other times while (laughs) pregnant with me that's who i blame for my passion for it (laughs) you it was baked into you basically yes today
1: you are a choreographer a dancer a movement coach art therapist so many things we're talking to a lot of creative people this season and we want to know what does it look like when you do feel creative when you want to create a new piece Are you alone? Are you with people? Is it stressful? Is it flowy?
2: What does it look like for you, Victoria? Mm -hmm. It's interesting you ask this question because I was just, I just came out of a, like an intense four day creative process with Nano Valverde, um, a composer, a Chilean composer here in Toronto. It often looks like often manifests when I'm in collaboration with another artist. Mm. So I will, have an idea or I'll have a vision or I'll do a sketch or there'll be a writing or, the, or the, there will be an event. and I'll want to begin a dialogue with someone else in mind, whether that person ends up being in my creative process or not. And so a lot of my or a lot of my favorite creative moments are in collaboration are in those moments where um, I bring forward some ideas and then the other person brings forward some ideas and then there's an, a an ebb and flow back and forth between between the two. And then there's separation and there's solo time. Now alone time is really important to understand the direction that I I want to go. But it it and I don't know if it's always but I my solo time is very much influenced by my time in collaboration.
0: As a choreographer, when you are co- like doing a choreography, you start with like, you put it on yourself first, right? But when you deliver it, no, okay, tell me, tell me.
2: It depends, it okay. depends. Where, there are some projects where I do start on myself first. So I go into the studio and I just start investigating whether it's a movement motif or whether it's a visual representation of, um, of something or whether it's a, a, a life event. But then there's also other times where, for example, next week I'm in studio with Irma Villafuerte and Diana Reyes, where I have some ideas and some sketches on paper of what I want to explore in this duet, but I haven't put it on my body yet. So I will be coming into the studio and I will first investigate or further investigate or like extend what I have in mind onto their body. So they will be the first ones to begin the process of me understanding what it is I wanna project, but through their bodies. So it really depends. It depends on the project, depends on the, yeah, it's case by case. So we
0: know you're a choreographer and, and and you work with dance and as a director, we've seen your work with dance, but in some productions, you work as a movement coach. And for people that might not know what that means, what is what is that process like? and and how would you describe somebody coming into a production as a as a movement coach? What is their, their role?
2: So one of my latest my last examples of or my last experiences with as a movement coach was with um Aluna Theaters piece, Solitudes. And my job as a movement coach is to find ways of inserting the director's ideas and the director's goals onto the the actors or onto the dancers. So in solitudes, for example, was sometimes warming up the dancers and then find, exploring different ways for the actor to access the material outside of the choreography. So outside of the one, two, three, four, and then you move your right arm and then you turn and then when this actor does this, you're gonna do this. So outside of that, it's more about what intention, how to be ready, how to come on stage, how to hold on back your emotions, how to access certain emotions, how to um, also just play on stage in order to get the actor sort of loose and maybe like separate from real life onto stage life. So it has many facets, and i see it as um sort of like a director's right hand so i'm there to serve the ideas and the goals of the director and find creative ways of that information to penetrate to enter the actors or the dancers bodies
1: his big stuff movement it's just such a huge broad broad kind of world but yeah that sounds like such an important bridge in a theatrical performance. Mm-hmm. One thing about you, I think, is that you, uh, the styles of dance that you do, there's like many different styles. And actually, I would love for you to just speak a little bit about what styles of dance you feel like
2: you are coming from. Mm-hmm. Maybe what like traditions or techniques are. I'm a contemporary dancer. I live in a contemporary city with a contemporary framework, with contemporary colleagues, so I'm I, I'm contemporary dances is my primary language. <laughs> now that language is rooted or informed by some traditional Venezuelan dance genres that have greatly influenced my style. And I'm also constantly open. So I'm right now in a phase in of my life where I'm I'm really curious and and quite invested in harness dance. So dance that is where I wear a harness and I'm suspended from anything that's above the ground. So it's not circus art, it's not aerial dance, um, sort of harness dance. I was exposed to this art form through Diana Lopez, another colleague of ours from Toronto and she's from Mexico. And through her work, I've just fallen in love with this, with the work of, of the hardness and sort of the push and pull against gravity. So in the technique, it's still contemporary forms in a way of like the shapes and the the roundingness or the 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 constant play with rhythm and um, and compositions or varying compositions of the body against the music or the juxtaposition of the music and um, and shapes, but. It also has its own technique because you have to be trained in a particular way in order to hold the body in midair suspended while being somewhat in control. So it takes a particular core technique that is different than if I were to be dancing culepulla, for example, which is one of the traditional um, genres of Venezuelan, Afro-Venezuelan dance that I love and that sort of grew up dancing with not necessarily trained in because it's like street uh, street dance like dance of pueblo Mm -hmm. but as an adult I've gone back to to relearn it I don't know if I answer I feel like I don't know when I'm anymore (laughs) no it's
1: amazing I mean I don't think harness dance is something that a lot of people know about so I think your description was really clear and the way that other dances kind of weave into that practice. It's like very interesting to hear about. Yeah, yeah. obviously gravity plays a different role in street dance than it does in harness
2: dance. <laughs> and I would say even gravity plays a different role in street dance than it does in, in studio dance. In what way? Um, I think about taking a contemporary or modern dance class in the constant suspension of the body, or the contractions of the body, um, or the way that the body moves through space, or traveling across the studio and leaping or twirling, that relationship to gravity is very different than the relationship of kulepuya, which is stepping onto the ground with constant repetition um, in relationship to to another human. They're like couple dances Um, Hmm. so as you mentioned that i was like oh but then also yeah i think gravity plays a different role in all these three forms
1: totally yeah that's so cool and like i guess the rooms that you practice contemporary dance in a studio typically at times and then like the streets themselves like the context also plays into gravity and how much space you can take
0: up or how what you want to do with your
1: body yeah
0: Yeah, that's so cool talking about spaces and stuff the pieces i've seen from you is is dance but you also have all the lighting and you also sometimes have projections how do you incorporate everything and also most of the pieces i've seen from you they have a big message like it's always like some type of, of social like happening and it's put in this piece so how do you combine everything into one show
2: um each piece the journey is different um Right now, with the show that I'm that I'm premiering in the fall, Cacao Venezuelan Lament, I'm working quite separate with the designers, with the chor- with the dancers, and with the composer and the musicians. So I, even though I see it constantly all together on stage, like I've for years, maybe ten years, I've already seen and I visualized the production, I visualized the different scenes, the different feelings, um, images that are projected. However, in the present time, as we're gearing up to a premiere, I'm working separately with the designer. So for example, yesterday, I was with Alejandro Higuera, one of my designers in, um, in Cacao. Colombian-Canadian artist, also very close to the Aluna family. We were going through the footage that was gathered in my most recent trip to Venezuela, and we were selecting the pieces and the moments that are going to be replacing footage that was previously recorded for each scene. So we're working quite compartmentalized, even though I'm at the center seeing all the moving parts and at some Mm -hmm. points there's for example another piece um the piece that I just presented yesterday and the day before which is a work in progress suspended that piece was first created hanging from a harness and I had the movement vocabulary idea and I knew I wanted it filmed so then I brought in a videographer I brought in a visual artist Alexandra Gelis another very close human to Aluna Theater and we composed a short dance video so that dance video I've projected on a wall multiple times to understand to aid me understand further my the physical vocabulary while being on the ground versus being suspended, so I'm sort of playing with myself. So in that way, the projection of, of the video has been instrumental for me to develop more movement vocabulary. To, but that's particular to that process. Um, and then, whereas a piece I did a really long time ago, Arterias, I the focus of the piece was my body. I start with urban clothing and then I end up semi-nude and my body covered in clay and I had a projection, but the projection was to support the piece because I wanted to go through a visual, like a 30 second visual journey of the colonial process in, in Venezuela. So from Christopher Columbus and just slavery and moving on, moving on, moving forward, displacement of people in the country and displacement. And then that was projected in a small square, but that was in support of what I was doing. So in each piece, the relationship of the projections and the images to the body, to the moving body is, it's different. And at times the protagonism shifts. Sometimes they share that protagonist role. Um, And sometimes the visuals are to support the body. It definitely seems like the
1: design element is just an important part of the narrative of, of a lot of the pieces that you're making. It is for me. And we do yeah. just want to, mm-hmm. yeah, Yeah, for you, yeah. And we want to make sure that all the listeners know what we're talking about when we say cacao because it's coming at you in September. So we just want to give a little explanation of what cacao is. Cacao, a Venezuelan lament, is a multidisciplinary performance taking place during an, a euphoric celebration pivotal to Venezuela's African heritage and preparation of cacao harvest season. So, as two cousins reunite, they grapple with increasing threats to traditional farming practices, neo-colonial processes of land exploitation, and the global trade. So there's a lot there, and it's going to be absolutely beautiful. Um, We'll have information about the show in the show notes. But like you said, you've been imagining parts of this for 10 years. It has been a journey to get to this um, September showing. So although this is a huge question, Victoria, what complications have arisen in the process of developing this piece? (laughs) (laughs) What has surprised you about this process? Have you learned Um, anything in this process that you feel like you're open to sharing?
2: This piece is is born out of the disconnect with my own family of cacao farmers. So my grand, my, my mother's lineage is, uh, from my maternal side of the family, were cacao farmers. However, my grandfather migrated to the city and my mom and my aunts grew up in the city. So we are disconnected from the practice of cacao farming. However, while growing up, I was connected to it in in different ways. As an adult, that separation nourished, or I guess ignited a a need for learning more about cacao farming. And I went, not necessarily to my own family, I went to um, other farmers that have now become like extended family and and that primarily is because my family is originally from the eastern part of venezuela it's very far from where my current family venezuela lives and just because of transportation infrastructure in venezuela it's not that easy to travel to the to the eastern part from the western part and also other reasons that led me to focus on the cacao harvest practices of the Western part of, of Venezuela. And I think one of the biggest surprises has been how much I've been, I've come to terms with the this junction of my families uh, from cacao farming through the building, the creation of, of cacao in of Venezuela and lament of this production. And it's just been tremendously healing for me as an individual. Also, Mm. creating and writing a character, one of the protagonists, Milena, one of the cousins, she is a, a person who travels back to Venezuela. She was taken out of the country as a young age, as a child. And she goes back to Venezuela. And what she gets to do in the play is what is... I don't know that I will ever get to do. She gets to go back to her family. She gets to fight for the preservation of the land of her family. She gets to reintegrate herself back into the family that she was disjuncted from me in my life for many reasons. I don't know that I will have that. So through my imagination and through the writing and the development of this piece, I have healed really deep wounds that I had. And I have regained many parts of myself through the development and the writing and the creation of this piece. So those are one of the, that has been one of the biggest, um, I would say surprises that I didn't know that this this is what I was gonna gain. 10-12 um, years ago when I did my first interview with one of the cacao family, families um, in this last trip that I went and one of my masters when we, when we said goodbye you know, he said great next time we go visit your family I was like "All right, next time we go visit my family right and so it's just it's taken moon years to get here and It's just the journey that I've been on. So, I don't know. Maybe now I'm ready. Maybe now I'm ready to go back to my family. That is el capítulo de la próxima telenovela. (laughs) Exactamente. That is, that's so huge. That's That's so so
1: beautiful. Yeah. And complicated
0: at the same time.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Because like the divide between life and art. Yeah. Yeah. think what also has been challenging of course has been the pandemic you know we're putting on a production that has a really big budget and we're putting on a a production with less funding than we expected to because we had to spend the funding in other ways during the pandemic so we are at a place where we're developing creative ways of, of of fundraising and little events that that continue to to nourish the, the economic stability of the production. So that, I, I would say that is one of the biggest challenges and really working with an amazing producer, Allison Wong, who, yeah, just keeps the motor of this production going. And um, in speaking about collaborations, she is fundamental. I would, there's no way I'd be able to do this on my own if it wasn't for bringing on a, a producer.
1: Shout out mm. to amazing collaborative producers who can get creative yeah. and like actually support the art. It's such a beautiful, important craft mm. in itself, yes. for sure. And so, Victoria, yeah, you just, there's so many things, so many threads that you've offered up here. Um, but you have like obviously so many important connections here in Toronto with the, your creative team, but also you live here a lot of the time as well. And then also Venezuela, where your family's from, and also California, and also a few other places that your family also lives. And um, at least from our perspective, you do live in many places and are traveling between them quite frequently. So how do you sustain and value community and chosen family for yourself? Because Mm -hmm. there's family, there's chosen family, and one of the impacts that we see of work that you do too is that like you just really do create and value community where you go which is so amazing so how how do you uh
2: do that um i don't know i think i'm i love people's stories and um so i value deeply my time with with community, with individuals, whether, and community can be one person, it doesn't have to be community, it doesn't have to be 30 people. Being patient, the communities and the chosen families that I have built in Venezuela, outside of my blood family, um, it's taken a decade to get to a place where we call each other hermana. You know, um, unplanned, but this is where we are now. And I think one of the ways that I'm able to do it is because I live in Canada and I have citizenship here so I'm able to apply for grants and I speak English where 90% understand what I'm saying. Other people understand what I'm saying. Um, I can write in in English Um, so I have a number of privileges that allow me to access the granting world. I also, mm-hmm. um, so I can use that to travel. I can use that to travel, and it's not vacation traveling. It's traveling for work and traveling to build to research to for residencies or whatever it may be. Always the artistic experience is, is at the core, um, and I would say that that's one of the biggest ways that I'm able to do it. I also because I have family spread. In many parts of the world, my housing costs are low because I can go to my mother's house, I can go to my cousin's <laughs> house, I can go to my master's house and bring seven people in with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I think there's just like the social, um, the social capital that that I have slowly built it is because of that social capital also that I'm allowed to um, to move across borders. And um, you know because we have such a transient city, Toronto is, it is fairly accessible to sublet and sublet one's place or sublet someone else's place um, and there's sort of that, that culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think if I, if I lived in another country or maybe in another part of Canada, i don't know i don't know if it would be the same that's beautiful speaking about traveling we know you recently traveled to venezuela was it for cacao one of my designers alexander jellies also happened to be in venezuela at the same time so we just made the best of it and it was incredible i i think one of the biggest gifts from this last trip is that my master's my teachers, my elders, my collaborators, my associate choreographer, they all gave me the blessings. They all, when I told them we were ready for a premiere, they all said, yes, we're there, we're ready. Um, I was gifted tobacco smoking. I was um, get written a song. Um, mm. It's just many gifts but yes for me of course but also for the production Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah the path was cleared and they full-on gave me the blessings to to show cacao to show to bring and share with Toronto this production that is rooted in real stories from my family, real stories from um, the masters and the farmers that I've been working with for over a decade, from strangers that pass me by and that are having conversations, and their conversations resonate, and therefore it gets transferred onto the script. Um, so it's it's an extension of of the Venezuela that I have in my heart and in my mind and in and in my system and it's it i didn't know that that was the reason why i needed to go and it was Mm -hmm. absolutely the reason i don't think um i would be able to put on this show if it wasn't if i hadn't received the blessings from my elders and my masters in venezuela
1: yeah that is so huge were you ever consciously working towards that or like Was that something conscious for you?
2: From day one, I've always asked a lot of permission. Um, And particularly, I've worked very close with the youngest daughter of one of the elder teachers. She's no longer alive, Belen Palacios, who is a national patrimony of Venezuela. She's the queen of the Quitiplas. And Los Quitiplas are an ensemble of bamboo sticks that are played against either cement or a brick and they make really beautiful percussive sounds. And um, Belen Palacios passed on, but she left the legacy of an ensemble of acapella female singers. And in order for me, right from the very first day that I met Calixta Palacios, who's her youngest daughter, um, I asked for permission. And Yamile Palacios, who is the granddaughter of Belen Palacios, who has become like an older sister of mine, Um, every time there is a process of asking for permission. And even this time around, also when we went into La Hacienda, when we went into the cacao farm, it was, and now we ask for permission from Belén Palacios. So there's, it's been a, the ritual of asking for permission has been uh, really important for me right from the very beginning. So it's been a really long time. Um, Even the fact... Can I ask, are you asking permission to just for people who don't
1: know the show at all to use Kitty Place in your piece or for what specifically?
2: I'm asking for mission um, for a number of reasons. One is that the play takes place over the, like the 24 hours before the celebration of San Juan, which is San Juan is a, this euphoric festival celebration of three days. That is really important to the region of cacao farmers in Venezuela. And Devoters of San Juan are devoters of San Juan. So and I mean talking about San Juan will get us to another three hours. So mm-hmm. um, there's there's a lot to unpack in terms of how and who who is a devotee of, of San Juan. And but it's a real practice, it's a real spiritualism, it's it's a real belief and it's a it's it's taken very seriously. So in order for me to bring that on stage here in Toronto, um, I've always had to ask for for and ask for respect, not even ask for permission, but ask for respect and or pay my respect. And so there's there's a gift exchange, um, and there's asking for permission. And I did ask my masters, "Can I can I bring on stage a an altar with a San Juan?" The kitty plus not so much, but because Belen Palacios was an elder a teacher, a master to many individuals and has become a patrimony of of the country, her name could be used in all sorts of many different ways. And the only way that I, um, and I'm not using her story specifically in cacao, however, I work with her family. And so by default, the stories of both Calixta and Yamile, their experiences, even their energy is going to be transferred onto the stage here in Toronto. And in order to do that, I've always wanted to make sure that they had autonomy around their stories, their entities, their energies, their family stories. And that has been just a regular part of that practice is that paying respect and asking for regular permission. Thank you for sharing that, yeah.
0: Something that people might know know about you, that we know, is that you're in art therapy. So, how did you get into art therapy? And what do you hope your art therapy practice looks like in five years?
2: I want to have my own art healing center. (laughs) Um, How did I end up here? One, it was my, my own journey. I started seeing an art therapist an expressive arts therapist. And I fell in love with the practice. I fell in love with the journey, the transformations that were happening for me and with me. Um, and I began to take a few courses every year. So I would take a course at the Creed Institute. And then I maxed out all the workshops and courses I could take and then the one of the faculty members said, well, why don't you just join? And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm not going back to school. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm just out after my master's. I'm like, I'm done. But then here I was. I went back to school. And so it just sort of, I stumbled upon it. And I fell in love with it. And I am still deeply in love with the practice of facilitating healing journeys with individuals utilizing the arts.
1: I'm so curious what maybe a typical session might look like. Is it different every time, or
2: what kind of? Very different every time. And something really beautiful and central to expressive arts therapy, which is different than art therapy, is that the client, quote, unquote, is considered the expert. So very much the client or the expert is the driver of the experience is the driver of the journey. So the difference between expressive arts therapy and art therapy, there's a number of differences, but one of them is that in expressive arts therapy, we don't interpret art. So if somebody draws a cloud with rain, it doesn't mean that that person is sad. It could mean that there is something really satisfying about the idea of laying on top of a cloud. And when they laid on top of the cloud, they imagined then the cloud would release the moisture, for example. Expressive Arts Therapies offers a number of ways to look at the art that's being created and with a lot of curiosity under what what comes up for the client, what are the messages that are coming up from the art, what are how is the client and or the therapist engaging or understanding impacted by what's being created. It looks very different for, for client to client. It's very intuitive, it's a very beautiful field, very beautiful field.
1: Hmm.
2: That sounds really
1: fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to go visit your healing arts center whenever it <laughs> appears. Sounds amazing. So I think we're coming to the end of the episode. And at the end of every episode, we ask our current guest to pose a question to the next guest so we can keep the conversation going across borders, across practices. Cool. Uh, So we have a question for you from our previous guest, Suvendrini Lena, who's an amazing playwright and neurologist and uh, person. Uh, She's really, really cool. And she asks, when I think of cacao, it really gives me a sensory experience. I'm wondering, how do you translate, Victoria, that sensory experience into a theatrical space? How do we make theater really embodied for our audiences?
2: Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that I'm accessing that embodied experience is through the projections. So my, my, my goal and my vision is to, my goal is to, bring a plaza of Venezuela onto Toronto so that when the audiences are walking onto the stage, they get, they, they, they get submerged with the sounds and the visuals and the magnitude and the, the rhythmics of, um, of Las Plazas in Venezuela just before San Juan. So or we're bringing three large screens with the stage in the middle and the audience surrounding the stage. So creating sort of a, an all-encompassing um, environment. And that is one way of, that I'm bringing the colors, the textures, um, the chaos, the magnitude of, um, and, and the, clo- the, the, the delicacy of the cacao bean. So as close as the cacao bean but then also as far as like a a bird's-eye view of all the drums playing Mm. hundreds of drums playing during a san juan festival yeah and also we will be serving little (laughs) shots of chocolate okay welcome the audience in
1: you're covering like every sense all of them (laughs) that's incredible okay can't wait to be there it's gonna be so cool excited well thank you so much victoria for being our final guest of this season um it's been such a pleasure we can't wait to see your show
2: i'm totally honored you both rock (laughs) i love you both i love your episodes i'm regularly sharing episodes with other people all over the world and I just um, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for bringing me
0: on. What an honor! Gracias for joining us for another season of Radio Luna Theater. We hope you love the season as much as we did. While we take a break, be sure to check out all the past episodes in our archives on the ALUNA website.
1: And while you're there, look out for more information on the RUTAS 2022 International Festival coming this fall.
0: Hope to see you there!
1: Adios! We are speaking to you from the shores of this beautiful Zaga Igan, known to some as Lake Ontario, in Toronto, or Dagarondo. This is the ancestral territory of the Haudenosaunee, or Longhouse Confederacy, the Anishinaabek Nation, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is covered by the dish with one spoon wampum and Treaty 13, also known as the Toronto
0: Purchase. At we remember that people can begin to heal when they are heard. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial.
1: Radio Aluna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theatre with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and TD Bank.
0: Aluna Theater is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shellness. Radio Aluna Theater is produced by Monica Garrido and Camila Díaz Varela. For more about Aluna Theater, visit us at alunatheater.ca, follow at Aluna Theater on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Miigwech and Nyawangoa.